podcast is created by Laura Jackson and Jonathan Stevens of Local Jurisdiction Consulting. The episode starts now. Yay! Okay. okay, so we'll just try that. Cool. Hi guys, this is Laura Jackson. And this is Jonathan Steven. With Local Jurisdiction Consulting. It is March 19th, 2020. The time is now 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We're on the East Coast. So if you've seen the pandemic map, we're in the thick of it, as probably everyone is. But we're getting it, too. So interesting. Lots of interesting pieces of news as world events and politics collide. I was taking a look at the... Well, I glanced at the stage three so-called relief bill that Maxine Waters is proposing in the House. So this is a stalwart progressive Democrat who's been in the United States House of Representatives for many years. Mitch McConnell has presented the Republicans version in the Senate. And there are some stunning differences. I I think the the focus that I was going to put was on the Republican bill out of the Senate. It's it's shocking, really. It's DOA in the house but it's it's completely shocking have you had a chance to see anything about that laura or am i going to be the one to introduce you to this monstrosity so how about you explain to me some of the differences between the two bills well if i'm to be honest i haven't looked at everything in in waters's bill although i have the bill itself uh the proposal downloaded but suffice it to say she's talking about a lot of direct relief for individuals a lot of direct public funding. She taught, She actually wants to give families $2,000 a month as long as a complete economic lockdown is going on. And there's McConnell, $1,200 a month? Well, yeah, but it's not so much the amount. Here's what's stunning about it. They plan to give people with lower incomes less. And if you have no income, you might get nothing. People who have kids, will, the so kids will get about, some, like, but the sustaining the economy but it's like you know if if you say like someone like me wasn't able to get clients if i didn't have that it's like potentially i could be screwed but it's like actually no it's screwing the littler guy worse than that well that is yeah. some backwards they're, logic they're yeah they're viewing it basically so they're also phasing it out for higher income earners which is a cynical ploy, in my opinion. Okay, to make... so they like a bell curve. Like, so they like the corona graphs they've been seeing. Jeez, you don't implement that into your economics. God. Yeah, I... Just willy I mean, the th- I, mean, I think that's to. designed to be a bunch, a piece of bait to get left-wingers to, to support their plan. But the real purpose of it is just like how Republicans didn't want... Well, they didn't want Social Security to happen at all. But if they did it, they didn't want well-off people to get it. And the reason was that they wanted well-off people to view it as some filthy welfare program that was robbing them blind. And so that's the purpose with this again. Um, the Republicans can't help but turn everything into a morality play. You know, if you're a good middle-class worker, we'll give you a little bit of money. And it's, it's they're, interestingly, they're treating it as if it's Keynesian stimulus. You know, this will save the economy because people will go out and spend it. That's not the point of this. This is rescue to stop people from suffering and to keep the economy from collapsing because everybody defaults on their bills. Mm-hmm. It's not 
to stimulate the economy and encourage commerce, there's not going to be much commerce for the next couple of months. This is to keep As things from collapsing. from China yeah. a bit. Right. And so, the, the, in addition, the McConnell's bill is full of enormous tax cuts for the largest corporations, which is ridiculous on two fronts. One, the tax cut... Are uh, asking for bailouts. Is, well, it isn't going to do you any good if you didn't make tax cuts. Don't help you if you don't make money, and a lot of corporations aren't going to make money. And so the only well, way it would even make sense. Well, I'm just also wondering is that aren't these bailouts possibly that we're hearing about separate from potential tax breaks, or would that be one and the same? Because yeah, if yeah, if it's unclear. Different... It's on. It's unclear. Ugh. Okay. Well, but, good for us for asking questions. Yeah, it's unclear. Um, I mean, all I've like seen so is like the New York Times. <laughs> all I've seen is the New York Times, the Washington Post articles. Okay, I haven't read the actual proposed legislation, if it's even public. I, I know we talked about this yesterday, but like, you've seen that the Wall Street Journal reported forty-five percent approve Trump's handling of this. I mean, do, does that also apply to Congress? Do you know? I, I didn't read the article. Um, that's There's, the headline that CNN reported. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, like, it, it, basically what this shows you is that it doesn't matter what Trump does or doesn't do. 40 to 45 percent of the country approves of him. The other 55 to, you know, 58 disapproves. And it's just. Now, I've seen a few polls that have shown um, his approval on, on what's going on now as low as 31%. So that suggests that there may be that 10 or 12% of Trump supporters that we've always suspected who don't really like him and don't generally approve of him, but sort of thought it was okay as long as the economy was good and they were getting their tax cuts. Um, and that those people may be willing to abandon him uh, in the present situation. And keep in mind, it's one thing for people to approve of his performance when he gets on TV and tells about he and Mike Pence tell a bunch of lies, which Fox News then oh my gosh, pumps my up. dad, um, my family gets so irked at that. Uh, well, it's really hard. It's like it brings Fox News into your neutral sphere whenever you try to watch some of their press conferences. But you know, the evidence is that 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 a, a million somewhere between one and three million people were laid off in the last week or so and that this data is going the first teeny scrap of that data hit today that uh in the week, consultants like myself not getting work that isn't correct correct that. correct if you, it does not account for any kind of business person whether they be an independent consultant or the owner of 10 local restaurants getting way, way less business. It does not account for that one iota. This is people filing for, for state unemployment benefits, which means they got laid off from a regular wage or salary job. And the, the so far 15 states, so what happens with the weekly jobs report is that the states report data, some of them release it publicly separately, some don't. And then a few days later, the Department of Labor puts it all together into a weekly unemployment filing number that's then published. We already know that there are 15 states. I don't know which ones, although I know Connecticut's one of them and Ohio's another, but I don't know what the other 13 are. There are 15 states that have made those numbers public. 
those 15 states alone, so less than one-third of 50, although if it includes big states like California, it could be more than a third of the population. Um, those 15 states alone uh, have 630,000 new unemployment claims in the last week. That is more than two times a really bad recession number of weekly unemployment filings, and that is one-third of the country. So. The thing is, you, it's, it's fine and good to see Trump and Pence say things on TV and their North Korean-style <laughs> propaganda broadcasts. It's quite another thing when you and your neighbors lose their jobs. And that's yeah. starting to happen all over the country. So we'll, we'll see how that approval number holds up in the middle of April when there's 2,500 people dying every day and, and 15 million Americans out of work, in addition to whoever's out of work now. We'll see if the approval remains high. I'm guessing it won't. Um, wow. So, so... But yeah, the, when, the Senate bill is a steaming, steaming pile. It's unbelievably I mean, bad. The, the headline that, I did see was that the Senate passes coronavirus emergency aid sending plan to president from the Hill. Right, well, that was, that was a different thing. That was a... So there are three stages that they're trying to... The, the, the big one, this big multi-trillion billions and trillions thing is still being debated and discussed and that's the one where mcconnell had this thing that was in the paper the lesser things are like the paid family the paid sick leave and so forth is what was rushed through interestingly mcconnell's big trillion dollar stage three relief plan puts limits on the paid sick leave so apparently the God. republicans in congress felt railroaded into paid sick leave, but they hate it. They hate it. So, well, would would the House have to approve that then if there's been changes made to a House bill? Because if it's going to the president, would that not mean that there was a House bill, the Senate so adapted the, it, yes, and then yes. they so voted? The, no, 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 correct. The, this paid sick leave thing and a couple other things have already gone through. They've been signed. It's a done deal. Okay. But... That basically the political pressure was too great in the short run, but now what the what the Republicans in the Senate are trying to do is take some of that back in the process of doing uh, the um, the big trillion dollar relief bill. Um, oh, also by the way, your twenty four hundred dollars per couple, twelve hundred dollars per individual, six hundred dollars per kid. Your kid doesn't count if they weren't alive when you filed your 2018 taxes, if you make too much or too little money, you get nothing. That amount, all that quote unquote relief money, it looks like is going to be t treated as taxable. So you get taxed on. So I it's, mean, um, it's a Mitch McConnell, 1200 $2,400. It's not Bernie yeah, Sanders it's a fraud or Andy Yang's or Jonathan Stevens' suggestion of or Mitt Romney. Into, yeah. Or Mitt Romney. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Let's not even... Let's let's bring in partisan, like nonpartisan. Let's let's get some Republicans some credit for signing on to this. God. And apparently Lindsey Graham and Ron Johnson and a couple others are lobbying Trump directly to refuse to sign anything that includes direct cash payments to individuals. Meanwhile, they're lining up to give hundreds of billions to big corporations. Meanwhile, small small we're businesses all stuck at get home. loans. 
And this is the time we could all afford to wait around at the DMV metaphorically and we could all do it at our computers. That'd be actually something that could be productive for the American people, American society. It's something that could make people feel optimistic while they are beginning to be holed up and hibernating for this period. You know, it's a tense time. This could actually be something that would provide some mental relief and relieve some anxiety if it were done some other ways listen like how we would do it i believe yeah i mean and uh, you know so basically it's going to be cash handouts giant tax cuts and other goodies for giant corporations it's going to be Small business loans, which you have to wait for and are going to come too late to save a lot of you from going bankrupt for small businesses. And it's going to be small cash payments to middle class people if they feel like it. And then we'll tax some of it back for regular Joes and Janes now. And we're going to cut back on this paid sick leave that we felt on twisted into giving. I mean, this is a Republican plan. It's not going to pass. The House of Representatives will never pass this plan. And in some ways, it's a negotiating tactic, but it's thoroughly insane. And uh, it's like, why know, do we have to negotiate right now? Can't we, you know, can't we do that a different time? But I mean, I, I would think it was OK if they were negotiating. Oh, should it be fifteen hundred or two thousand? Should it be one checks or two? Right. They're logistics. That's fair. And there's You're right. That's timing fair. and amount. I meant. But the structure, yeah, the structure of but it. Are we? We're not even bringing up. And I don't want a border wall. You know, we're not. E- we're not even bringing up the children in cages. Whenever that could be a relevant discussion oh, well. for what are we going to do to care for them? You know, that's that's something we could be bringing up too. But it's not really the time nor place to necessarily be putting partisan chips on the table they're gonna in a way they're getting their border wall though they're they're locking the mexican border is about to be locked down the canadian border has already been locked down um there's a saying i can't remember who was fond of it but there was a saying that you should never waste a good crisis um and that there are a lot of opportunistic people who i mean it you know, and there's some legitimacy to that, that people are only motivated to make big changes during a crisis, but you can see it. There are people peddling every political agenda they've ever had and trying to use this epidemic, this pandemic, as a, as a lever to get what they want, but they're not turning around and facing the seriousness of the assault mm-hmm. on the fabric of our society. I mean... We're talking about millions of people dying. Never mind that now freaking two members of Congress a couple of days ago tested positive. I'm sure there are more that we are not hearing about. Oh, there'll be more. <laughs> and be more. there'll it's... be more that we will hear about. <laughs> um, Jonathan, I wanted to bring up a couple things. Some actually are from March 19th, the day that we're recapping. Um, I know we're going back in time too um since we're on politics now i'll stay with that theme but i have about like three things for you just wanted to um put the headline out there that i think was a couple days old but we've all seen that joe biden promises a 
female VP running me. Yeah. That's great. First, like, let's make the ticket look like America. Um, yeah, I, think, I mean, it's, it was a little odd of him to say that he was promising it. One assumes that this is because he already has a couple of shortlists. He already knows who his top three choices are or something like that. Um, but, uh... Okay, then I will say that Bernie Sanders essentially said the same thing but did not promise it. <laughs> you know, kind of... Yeah, yeah. Kind of gave well, a I more, think, less committed answer. I, I, I don't know that Bernie was stunned by Joe's answer, but I do think that Joe's answer definitely put Bernie on the spot. Um, and he had to... He felt he had to say something while it was a little non-committal that basically got the same message across. I there are lots of great choices for vice president uh, that are that are women, and so I you know in this day and age it's not difficult or problematic because even though women still sometimes face some barriers it's it, there are so many more women at the high levels of politics than there were even 15 or 20 never mind 30 or 40 years ago uh i mean 35 years ago 36 years ago when walter mondale nominated geraldine ferraro as his running mate it was it was a huge deal i mean i was a kid then it was a huge huge deal uh and people isn't that the one that not, pete slammed Amy Klobuchar with at the ninth Democratic debate uh, for the worst electoral defeat. Oh, right. Walter Mondale, yes, because he was also a, a, a senator from Minnesota uh, before he was vice president. Um, he basically said if winning elections in Minnesota meant anything, then we'd have President Mondale. Um which was, you know, it's just sort of a snide zinger line. I'm just uh, saying, the only reason I know that name is because Pete, um, Pete Buttigieg brought it up. So he... right, yes, Walter Mondale <laughs> suffered the worst, the worst electoral, uh, oh, worst and electoral we covered it on our podcast because you mentioned that. He suffered, yeah, he suffered the worst electoral college. He won Minnesota and Washington D.C. and nothing else. Which was I similar to... I won't make a little joke about... Um, I won't make a little... I won't make a joke there. <laughs> it was similar to... It was similar to what happened in 1972 when George McGovern uh, won Massachusetts and did not even win his own home state. Um, but I think that even though he had been shot in an assassination attempt, I think George Wallace still won a couple of states in the Deep South. So... Richard Nixon didn't get as many electoral votes in 1972 as Ronald Reagan did in 1984. But the, oh. the, the elections were yeah. similar. They were 60-40 blowout. Anywho, Pete's not getting the VP slot. Um, Joe, Joe says no. Joe says it ain't so. But my other headlines I really wanted to talk with you about were... We'll go back in time first. Were, was a headline from a couple days ago, March 16th, 2020. It's from the Los Angeles Times. The headline is as follows. As the coronavirus pandemic grows, gun sales are surging in many states. 
The article is by Curtis Lee and Anita Chabria. It was written at 2.52 p.m. So, I read this article. They really tap into a lot of, um, I think, the ids behind this. So, they tap into Asian Americans are buying guns to protect themselves because this is perceived as a racist virus. Um, some people are saying, well, there ain't no sports on TV, so I'm going to rent a lane and shoot. And some people are saying, hey, that's actually like social distancing too. I'm standing in my own lane shooting a gun. Some people buying guns are saying, this has nothing to do with that. And, you know, it even puts in the article where some people in line were telling the reporter, like, you're not going to get an interview unless you shake my hand. You know, kind of confronting the COVID-19 part of that. So, you know, I, I thought that was so interesting because, you know, people are doing the thing of stockpiling. I mean, people have been stockpiling on toilet paper, but people are stockpiling on ammunition. Yeah. I, in times of crisis, America, I mean, America is a violent country, and the culture here is, there is a strong gun culture here, right? And of the course, Trump that, has been also tweeting about it, too, as well. Yeah, it's, it's that, I mean, it's sort of, in a way, it's sort of heartwarming that uh, Asian Americans want their guns to protect themselves just as much, and, you know, I've heard liberals and progress. I mean, I find the gun culture off-putting, to say the least, outside of real sportsmen doing hunting and target shooting, um, for which I have a fair amount of admiration. But the sort of gun culture as a thing unto itself, just the guns, I find off-putting, personally. That well, said, and, it, it's and, sort of funny that it's like a point of commonality, right? So It's like... this. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but this article even gets to that. It said some, oh shoot, I wish I could find it. It's basically saying, you know, there might be all these extra guns around children while they're stuck at home. And so it even taps in that part of it. And it was just, oh, some gun control groups, here it is in the article. So, quote, some gun control groups have raised concerns about children out of school for the next several weeks, which could result in more children and teens being killed in homes with unsecured guns. So, it just, and here's a quote within the article. The unintended consequence of these panic-induced purchases in response to the COVID-19 pandemic could be a tragic increase of preventable gun deaths for the loved ones these individuals are trying to protect. Chris Brown, president of the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence, said in a statement Monday before March 16th. So I just thought that was really cool that this is this LA Times article was pulling in all of the things that I think are topical to <laughs> the gun sales and all the COVID-19 and all that. It's, it's really bringing it home. I mean... I've had several of my friends, most of whom are of a centrist to left-wing political bent, ask me recently if they ought to go out and buy a gun. That's, it closed with the article, like, of a woman saying, I've never done this before, but I think now's the time, and I'd rather have it 
and not need it, then need it and not have it. Yeah. Those people are being idiots because if you're untrained and if you're not regularly trained, the odds of you using it successfully to defend yourself are pretty much zero. Yeah. I did and wanna... I think there I think the, to me the biggest there probably will be some kids who get hurt or killed accidentally. Yes. So Jonathan... but but I suspect I suspect that a kid that was going to get into a gun accidentally was just as likely to do that when they came home from school and the parent was still at work or something. Well, I because came the across... kids the kids home all day but so is the parent. So what I was going to say though is the thing that concerns me is if everybody's going out and getting guns and now they're stuck at home during a super stressful, unpleasant time where a lot of us are going to have really big emotional problems. I'm more worried about suicide and domestic violence. Yes. So I wanted to bring up two headlines following that. Three days ago, Missouri officer, three others fatally shot at gas station, suspect also dead. Two days ago, North Carolina, in North Carolina, a family was shot. Let me pull up the headline. Basically, it's a family massacre where it was a family suicide situation. I'll just plug the headline title. Hey guys, here to plug that article for you. It is from NBC News by Janelle Griffith. Seven family members fatally shot in North Carolina. The tagline is, the suspect is among the dead, a sheriff's spokeswoman said. Again, that is by Janelle Griffith, written March 16th, 2020, released at 1.05 p.m. Eastern Time. Basically, since reading the LA Times one and seeing the surge in gun sales, I saw two headlines about violence, specifically gun violence. <sighs> okay, um, yeah. I don't want to end on that note, which is why I did want to bring it back home to COVID-19. Did you see the Rolling Stone article? And we can end on this. Nope. Okay, so then I'll just tell you the headline and this could be our homework assignment for today because I did not read the article. So this is our the latest headline from today, folks, at 2.05 p.m. Secret recording exposes intelligence chairman warning donors about coronavirus three weeks ago. And this is the subtitle. It is probably more akin. Sorry. Oh, oh yes. I'm sorry. I didn't. Re yeah. I I'm sorry. I didn't realize it's a Rolling Stone article. I have read. Yeah. So that was by Peter Wade. Good job, Peter. And this is just the tagline underneath it or the subtitle. It said it is probably more akin to the 1918 pandemic. North Carolina's Republican Senator Richard Burr said. So that's today's news. So I mean. Yeah, I, I, I did read that article. Uh, he gave that speech on February 27th. Anybody that didn't have their head stuck thoroughly up their butt by February 27th should have been able to figure out that things were pretty bad. Now, this was Senator Burr contradicting what his own president and vice president of his own party were saying. They also bust Burr for selling a bunch of stock by the time he did that, you know, uh, there were other people, myself included, who were making aggressive moves in the financial markets to try to protect themselves. It's definitely not a good look for Senator Burr. If he believed those things, he should have been saying them out loud to the American people, not just to donors. That said, 
I think by February 27th, the stock market had already started crashing and things were horrific in China and rapidly getting bad in Italy. And that, um, you know, I don't know that there's quite as much there, okay, there yeah, on this no other than the really bad optics. All right, cool. So that's today's headline. Now, I did see the stock market started going up tiny bit tiny margin um let's just talk about that and let's sign off after yeah so basically what you had is after we had a crushing down day on monday we had a kind of classic bear market rally back tuesday went, went about halfway back wednesday we gave up all the halfway back or nearly all of it and then today the stock market was up a teeny weeny bit but basically it treaded water and didn't really do a whole lot, which is in contrast to the whole lot it's done most days. Once again, this is a typical bear market pattern. When the market's still going down, it'll it'll crash down, it'll bounce part back up, it'll crash down again, and then there'll be a few days of relative quiet, and then usually it heads back down, and it does that a few several times until it finds a bottom, and then it'll usually kind of come up somewhat and then test the bottom one more time uh, before it heads back up permanently. The main sentiment driving it at the moment is everybody's looking at in the in America, in the United States of America, investors are looking at what Congress is going to do, what the president's going to sign in terms of this big phase three trillion dollar relief bill. And right now let's you know it's I already said this complete, the other day, but it's completely up in the air in, what they're gonna do. Let's invest in companies that can help solve this pandemic and reward them this quarter and guess what if that can get the economy and whatever going and flowing then you got more juice to work with next quarter for companies that need bailouts Ugh, that's my oh, I, I don't know about any financial advice people so we well, yeah, are we're definitely not giving people advice but what I'm saying is this is a classic thing that happens in downward trending bear stock markets oh. And I think the immediate explanation is, much like ourselves, people are, who are investors are sitting there looking at what's happening, saying to themselves, are Congress and the president going to do the right thing? No. How, we know this is going to be bad. How bad is it going to be? Bad. Everybody's kind of just staying in place for a day or two and trying Hunkering to collect down. information before they decide to panic more or be happy. Okay. Well, thank you, Jonathan, because obviously... I look to you for any, you know, financial insight. I think it's helpful. I'm, I, I don't play around in that business, but it is nice to hear about it. So one last thing, last thing on my end is Tulsi Gabbard has finally dropped out of the presidential race. So officially, we only have Bernie and Biden left. And quite. Quite to some folks' surprise, mine included, she endorsed Joe Biden. Oh, God, I forgot about that. It, it wasn't surprising to me that she endorsed Biden. I mean, it was surprising to me that she endorsed anybody. I didn't think she would endorse anybody. I thought she would, she would, you know, take her marbles and go no, home. No, she's but trying she to curry favor again. Okay. But it's, it's, it's interesting that she would do that. Yeah, well, so far, Bernie's still in it. We shall see how that goes. Oh, did you hear... Were you telling me this? Yeah, you were telling me off air about Bernie's F-bomb. Basically, he doesn't want to hear yeah, about he, his 
<laughs> he doesn't want you to ask him about his presidential campaign because we got an effing crisis pandemic going on. We got an effing pandemic. He said that to a reporter yep. who was trying to ask him if he was going to drop out of the presidential race. And he basically said, you're really going to ask me this? I'm trying to deal with an effing crisis. We're trying to prevent a global economic meltdown and millions of deaths. Don't you have something more important to write about than whether I'm dropping out? I'm not talking about that. Amen right to that. Feel the burn. Yeah. Good I got to sign off, Johnny Mike, because I made a commitment to play the game Pandemic. I will come up with so many solutions for tomorrow's pod. You know, after I just got to get rid of those little colored cubes. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and um, I'll say good night as well. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. This was Laura Jackson and Jonathan Stevens with Local Jurisdiction Consulting. Find us on Apple Podcast or Spotify, and tell your friends, share our stuff. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right. Stay safe. Social Bye-bye. distance. Bye. Wash your hands. All right, guys, your song this episode is Seasons by Shaggy featuring OMI. It is a single released in 2017, and that is to kind of touch on the seasonality question we had last episode. All right, enjoy. And if you would like to submit a song of the episode, please email us at ceo at localjurisdictionconsulting.com. All right, 